chapter 14. You can take the Word of God and open it up to Mark chapter number 14 as we continue our study through the book of Mark. Mark chapter number 14. It was kind of weird to go two weeks without preaching a message. That was, for me, that was very strange. It felt weird. Uh, but it was nice to be able to sit and to be able to listen uh, to God's word being preached. And so, what a blessing the revival meeting was. And I'm so thankful for the Smith family as they were here and how they encouraged us through singing. And then his brother Dwight preached and preached the word of God clearly. And uh, I tell you, the first Sunday he got up there, I was a little nervous because he started preaching about Judas, which is exactly where we are. And so it was, uh, it was interesting how the Lord kind of weaves things together like that. But uh, we're going to be diving right back into God's Word. We're not going to skip anything. We're just going to keep on going. Mark chapter number 14, and we're going to see what the Lord has for us this morning. Before we dive into the Word of God, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help, and then we will jump into the Scriptures this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity that you give us to be able to open your Word this morning, to be able to hear from you. And God, I ask that you would speak to us this this morning from your word. I ask now, Lord, as I already have, that you'd fill me with your spirit. Help me, God, to say only what you want me to say. And God, I pray that it would be pleasing, honoring, and glorifying to you. I pray, God, that each person that's here, we know that we've got many things on our minds, things that are happening in our lives, and things that are going to happen this week. I pray, God, that you'd help us for a few moments to bring our thoughts, our minds into captivity, be able to focus on your word, and be able to hear from you. I pray that we have good soil in our hearts so that the seed of your word can be planted deeply in it. Father, we look forward to how you're going to work, how you're going to speak, and God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have freedom to move in our midst, even now. Calm our thoughts, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, here we are now, just hours before Jesus' life is going to come to an end. And we've come to this time, and as we know, this week has been building up. It's been leading up to what's been, been known as the Passover, the Passover time. We, we spoke about what that was some time ago, about when Jesus, or uh, all those years ago, back when Moses was, was in Egypt, and all the children of Israel were in Egypt. And we know that on that last night, the last uh, plague that was sent was, he, he said, there's going to be the death of the firstborn, except you take a lamb, and you kill that lamb, and then you spread its blood on the doorposts. And he said, if you do that I will pass over your home. And so from that time forward, that was something that was kept by the, uh, the Jewish population, the Jewish pe- people every year. They would celebrate the Passover. And so here was such the case. We're coming up to the Passover. Now Jesus' disciples are now coming to Jesus and they're asking him about where they should go so that they could do this. Look with you, if you would, at verse number 12. Says this in the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? This is interesting because we don't have record of any time previous to this of Jesus and his disciples celebrating the Passover together. Now we know that they had served together for three years. This was their their third year being that, that they had served together, that the disciples had traveled with Jesus, but we have no record that they had done it before. Many believe that this was the first Passover over that they celebrated together as a group. And so uh, here the Bible tells us that they're coming to Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, where should we go so that we could celebrate this Passover? What do we need to do? Where, what do we need to, to, to go and prepare? Now, I don't know if Jesus had made previous arrangements or if he was just uh, showing forth his deity at this time, but he shares with his disciples his plan for this celebration. Isn't it a blessing? Isn't it an encouragement that 
even when we don't know what's going to happen or what we're supposed to do, that Jesus already knows and he already has things planned. Nothing ever takes Jesus by surprise. Jesus is never caught off guard by anything. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen today, tomorrow, and, uh, and the next day, and, uh, and, and next year, and, and ten years from now. He knows. He, he, everything is under his control. Now, there may be some people right now that are living in fear because uh, we, we look and we think, man, oh, there's going to be this shortage. We hear about all these shortages that are going to be happening with all the food and, and, and all these different things, and people are starting to panic. Uh, you can tell because all of the toilet, uh, you know, the, the, the toilet paper is gone again, you know, and so, you know, it's just, here we are living this, I feel like we're doing this again, and, and, and people are, are anxious, we've been talking about anxiety in our Sunday school class, listen, praise God, God already knows, he, He's already in control, none of this is taking Him by surprise, He's not surprised by who is, is, is in uh, the, the office of the President today, uh, when, when the election happened, and, and all of us woke up and we thought, man, I can't believe that this is happening, uh, God wasn't sitting there on His throne going, man, I'm so surprised, okay, God, God knew everything that was going to take place, and He knows what's going to take place today, tomorrow, and every day thereafter, and so as the disciples come to Jesus with this question, Lord, what are we going to do, what, where should we go, what what do, we, what do we need to do to get, make things ready? I mean, this was an important feast. This was an important time. Jesus says, listen, I've got everything under control. And so Jesus demonstrates his control to his disciples by sharing his plans for the Passover. Look at what he says here in verse number 13. It says this, and he, he sent forth two of his disciples and say to them, go ye into the city and there shall you meet a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say unto the goodman of the house, the master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city, found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he came with the twelve. So we see here that, that Jesus had a plan all along about what he was going to do. He already had things set in place. He knew exactly what was going to happen. But what's amazing to me, what's incredible to me, is something that we can so easily overlook. Something that we can so easily miss whenever we're reading the Scriptures. Look at verse number 13 again. The Bible says this, And he sent forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you, a man, bearing a pitcher of water, follow him. Now, this is interesting to me because this tells me that Jesus used a nobody. A nobody. See, the Bible tells us, according to Luke, that, that the two disciples were Peter and John. That, that the Lord tells him, he says, I want you to go into the city. And when you go into the city, he said, listen, you're going to be going, you're going to be looking for someone. Now, don't forget that this is a celebration as we just mentioned. In fact, everybody was to go to their hometown at this point in time. Uh, people were to go to these places. They were supposed to go to celebrate. Many believed that there could have been upwards of a million people influx into Jerusalem for this feast at this time. This was a big deal. And, and, and so 
understand this. Jesus could have had them go and look for anybody. You understand he's the creator of the world. And so he could have made them go and look for, for absolutely anybody. He, he could have told them. He said, listen, I, I want you to go into the town. I want you to look for somebody that stands head and shoulders above the rest of everyone else. I mean, he's going to stick out, stick out like a, a sore thumb, all right? Uh, maybe he said, listen, you can go in there. You're going to find somebody that's shorter than everybody else. I mean, you're going to be looking around and all of a sudden, you're gonna, and there they are, okay? Maybe it's the person that's wearing the brightly colored clothes and they've got all the money and that's the person that you're going to see because they're going to have this beautiful house that we're going to be able to go to. Maybe he was going to say, listen, you, you could go and, and find that person that's got that beautiful chariot. You're going to see him pull up and he's going to be reclined back a little bit with his reins, you know, and, and that's the person that you're looking for there. But that's not what he said. No, look what he said. He said, listen, you're going to go there and you're going to find a man with a pitcher of water. If you're like me, I'm sitting here and thinking, a, a man with a pitcher of water. I mean, like how many of those could there be? I mean, you know, how, how do you know which one? Well, here's the answer. There probably wasn't very many. Because it wasn't the role of a man at this time in history to go and collect the water. This was a job that would have been that would have fallen to the ladies of the household, the, the women of the household. That, that's just the way that it was at this point in time. Uh, it would have been, it would have fallen to the person, that, 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 uh, to, to a lady. It, it was something that really, at, at this point in time, it would have been something that would have been below the man of the house. We know in John chapter number 4, we're introduced to the story, and Jesus goes through Samaria, the Bible tells us, and when he goes there, he finds himself at Jacob's well, and while he's there at Jacob's well, there's a woman that comes in the sixth hour of the day, as we would know, it would have been around noon time. This was unusual because why? Because, well, usually the ladies would come in the cool of the morning to collect their water, but there was a reason that this woman came when she did. The Bible tells us it was because of her lifestyle. We know Jesus looks at her, and as he talks with her, we find out that, uh, that she was with, had, had had five husbands, and the man that she was with was not her husband. And we looked, and we think, man, what a, what a, what a story, what an incredible story. But listen, the, this, this was a job, a role that was assigned to the woman. That's just what it was. So for the man to come and to draw water, let's just call it what it would have been. It would have been a humbling thing for him to do. A humbling experience. It would have been, quote unquote, below him for him to go and to collect the water. The Bible gives no hint at his name. In fact, very little is known about him aside from the fact that the disciples were supposed to go to him and find him and he would lead them to the house where the Passover feast was going to be. He was just a nobody. A nobody. But he was an intricate and important person to Jesus' plan. I've heard it said that everyone wants to be called a servant, but no one wants to be treated like one. Most desire for their humility to be celebrated, right? You know, I'm humble and proud of it, right? You know, we want everybody to know about how humble we are. You know, what a servant we are. We want to be recognized for this. But the truth is, it is often those who are not seeking prominence, they're not seeking position, they're not seeking to build a name for themselves, they're just a nobody that God often uses in the greatest way. James chapter number 4, verse number 10, he says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. 
In 1 Peter 5, 6, again, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. We live in a world of self-promotion. I mean, everything, I mean, it's self-promotion. I mean, with social media, it consumes our world. I mean, what is so, I mean, really, let's get down to the nuts and the bolts and the roots of what social media is. Social media is my opportunity to tell everyone else what I ate for breakfast. I mean, that's what it really comes down to, okay? I mean, that's what, that's what it is. I mean, that's the way that we use it, right? We use social media so that we can promote and let everybody know what's going on in my life. I mean, that's oftentimes how, how it is used. We want to post a picture uh, of the pancakes that we ate. You know, we want to post a picture of the places that we went. I mean, Mike, you know, I'm sure, I, I, don't, I don't know if you posted it this week. Mike got an elk this week. Did you post it on social media? Oh, come on, Mike. You know, this, don't you know this is what you're supposed to do, okay? You know, I mean, this is the thing that you do. You, you post it. Why? You want all the world to know what you did. Now listen, I, I'm, I'm as vain as anybody else, okay? I post things on social media all the time, and I really don't have a problem with social media, but what I am pointing out here is the fact that I don't think this guy, after he went and showed the disciples where they were supposed to go, that he went and jumped on Instagram to post a picture of a selfie of him with Peter and John, okay? I, I don't think that he went from house to house and knocked on the doors and Hey, guess what I got to do? No, listen, I think he was just doing what he was supposed to do. Just, just this humble position that he had that he was fulfilling. And it can be so easy to fall into the trap of trying to be somebody that we forget that it, God loves to use the nobodies to move his plan forward. You know, here we are in a nowhere town, in a state where there's more cows than there are people. And if God was going to do something great, and in our minds it makes sense that He would go to some big city, some place where there'd be lots of people, and that's where He would do it. But I believe with all of my heart that God has us here for such a time as this. I believe with all of my heart that, that God has a desire to, to take some nobodies from nowhere to be used and set a fire for Christ to turn a state, a country, a nation, a world upside down for Christ. May we purpose in our hearts not to become a somebody, but rather a nobody for Jesus. The great preacher Kenny Baldwin, he always would say, I've heard him say many times, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody that can change anybody. And that should be the goal of our lives. God, don't make me a somebody that's promoted. Uh, Lord, don't, don't make it so that everybody knows my name. God, I want everyone to know your name. And I'm so thankful that God gave us this example of this nobody. We don't even know his name. But God used him in an important part of his plan. Next, as we continue on, we find a final exam that Jesus gave. See, Jesus, as they make their way there, we know that the Bible tells us they made their way into that upper room. And we come to verse number 18. It says this, And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said. So here they are. They're, they're, they're here at this night, and they're, they're eating and discussing amongst themselves, probably lighthearted conversation. We know eventually they get to the point where they're talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so maybe they're, they're, there's some, some preemptive talks about some of that stuff and all the noise that's, that's going on. And, and, and people are, are saying all these things. And, and then all of a the sudden, 
Jesus breaks through the noise with a startling proclamation. He, I mean, he catches their attention. Now, we have the advantage of hindsight, okay? We know what's about to happen. If you don't, you can literally turn the page and read the headings and you can see, okay? Uh, we, we know what's about to happen. Jesus is about to be betrayed. Jesus is about to be beaten and, and, and mocked and, and scourged. Jesus is about to be taken and crucified on the cross. And three days later, he's going to rise again. We know that. Why? Because we're on the backside. Hindsight's twenty twenty, as they say. But the disciples... As we've seen, we're pretty dense, okay? And even though Jesus told them that was what was going to happen, they, they still did not have their minds wrapped around it. They still did not see it. And so here they are. They're just lightheartedly talking with one another. And Jesus speaks, and he says this, verily. Verily. Now, that's an interesting word. The word verily, literally in the Greek, you want to know what it is? The word in the Greek is this, Amen. <laughs> like I, uh, I saw that, that's that's cool. Okay, Amen. Listen, when I was growing up there in Indiana, we we had a group of preacher boys. All right, we had a, a fairly decent sized auditorium, and and there were multiple sections to it, and 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 kind of down here on the left hand side, all the 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 young guys would would sit on the front row, and there'd be about probably 10, 12, 13, 15 of us. We'd sit there on the front row, and and listen, we we would uh, encourage the preacher while he was preaching. Okay. That's what, that's what we could call it. We'd say things like this, preach it! You know, I mean, the preacher would be preaching. We'd preach it, preach it! We'd say that. Maybe we'd say, well, that's good. Oh, yeah, that's good. And we might say, I, I needed that. I need that. Come on! You know, we'd say all kinds of things. That'll preach. Uh, I mean, park it right there, preacher. We'd have somebody, I, I remember one time there was a weirdo that was a part of our group, and they, and they said, oh, shake that bush! That kind of stopped everything, okay? That was weird. All right, don't, that was strange. But, but no doubt the most common thing that people would say in the congregation was amen. Amen. I mean, a preacher would be preaching and they'd preach a message like this and they talk about how you should be a nobody and all the congregation would say amen, okay? That was what you're supposed to do. No, okay, but that's, that, that, that was how it would work. But here's the thing. I had no idea what that meant. I just said it, right? You know? I mean, if we went around the room and said, well, what does amen mean? We, I mean, we're not going to put you on the, the test. But I mean, like, we, we'd all sit here and be like, well, I don't know. It's just something that we say. I mean, it's something in the Bible. I, I, I don't know exactly what that even means. Well, amen literally means it is truth. It is the truth. Amen. That's, that's right. Yes, amen. That, that is the truth. And so when Jesus says in verse number 18, verily, amen, he was saying, listen guys, this is the truth. What I'm about to tell you is the truth. Look what he tells him in verse number 18. Verily I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray Man, you talk about putting, I mean, throwing a wet blanket on the party. <laughs> I mean, there they are discussing, having a good time, and all of a sudden Jesus speaks up. Guys, listen up. I'm about to tell you this is true. One of you is about to betray me. And I can just imagine, I mean, it's <sighs> silence. And all of a sudden one of the guys speaks up. We see it in verse number 19. And they began to be sorrowful. Oh, no, Lord, surely not. Said to him one by one, is it, is it I? Another said, it, is it I? 
You start to go around the room and, Lord, is it me? Surely not, Lord, don't, not me. Lord, please, no, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't betray you. God, no. Is it I? The stunning part is among those questioning, is it I? One speaks up who indeed it was. Judas. And Judas, along with the other disciples, says, is it I? The right response in that moment would have been, it is me. It's me, Lord. You understand at this point, Judas has not yet betrayed Christ. He's made preparations to betray Christ, but he has not yet betrayed Christ. He has not yet walked down that path. And here Jesus says, listen, one of you is planning to betray me. And Judas could have stood up right then and said, Jesus, it's me. Can you imagine as, as they went around the room, is it, is it I, is it I, is it I, looking at Jesus, looking him in the eye, is it I? In Jesus' eyes meet Judas, and Jesus knows. There's no getting around it. There's no hiding it from, from him. Jesus knows what Judas is about to do. Jesus knows what's awaiting him in the next day. Jesus knows, and he looks Judas in the eye, and Judas Looks at Jesus. The final exam is given. What are you going to do, Judas? Is it I? Oh, man. You fail. We mentioned on Wednesday night in Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah is speaking and in the previous chapter... In chapter number 5, six times Isaiah had said, Woe unto them. Woe unto them. Woe unto them. Six times he says it in chapter number 5. But when we come to chapter number 6, the Bible tells us that Isaiah saw the Lord. And when he saw the Lord, when his eyes fixed on the Lord, what did he say? Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips. He says, yeah, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? But my eyes have have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And when Isaiah saw God and he saw himself, he had the right response. It is me. Woe is me. But rather than responding in humility, Judas instead, with a sincere look and a bitter heart, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, looks into the eyes of Jesus and says those words, Is it I? The final exam had arrived. His final chance to confess and repent. But Judas failed. And he freely, listen, he freely chose to reject and betray Jesus. Do you realize for, the, for every person who rejects to accept Christ as their Savior, there will be a final opportunity? And you don't know when it will be? You ever thought about the fact that every person has a final time to say no? Every person has a last opportunity to say no? We don't know when that is. 
But every one of us do. We, we talked about it in Psalm chapter number 19, verse number 1, because sometimes we think to ourselves, well, what about those people that have never heard? Well, they, they're without excuse as well. Psalm 19, 1 tells us, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth His handiwork. You just have to look into the sky, look at the mountains, look at our surroundings around us, and you have to think to yourself, it got here somehow. It got here somehow. There's got to be a Creator. In Romans chapter number 1, verse number 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who told, hold the truth and unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest unto them. For God hath showed it unto them. What's he saying? He says, listen, everybody has seen it. Just look around at creation. It declares God's glory. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, listen, so that they are without excuse. No excuses. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their thoughts and their foolish heart was darkened. Do you understand that while the atheist may say that they believe God doesn't exist, God's word clearly shows that God knows that atheists don't exist. <laughs> Anybody that professes to be an atheist is just fooling themselves. They've just darkened their own heart because God says here, they are without excuse by the very creation that surrounds them. Because the creation points to a creator. And anybody that sees, that hears, that can smell the smells, anybody that, can, that can, can imagine the creation, listen, they are without excuse. And every person must decide what they're going to do with God. And if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, you don't know when that final exam may be. You don't know when it will be your last opportunity to accept Christ. Oswald Smith said this, No one has the right to hear the gospel twice while there remains someone who has not heard it once. How prideful we must be to think, ah, maybe next time. In Acts chapter number 17, Paul is preaching on Mars Hill, and it's a powerful passage of Scripture. In fact, Acts 17 is one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament to read. I, I love the, the, the story of Athens and, and the story on Mars Hill. You remember, Paul's walking through Athens, and as he's walking through, the Bible tells us he beholds all of these idols to all these different gods. The people of Athens were super superstitious. Uh, I mean, they were just, I mean, they believed in everything. I mean, they had idols to, to the sun god, and they had idols to the, to the moon god, and they had idols to the grass god, and the tree god, and the, I mean, they had idols for everything. And as he's walking through, the Bible tells us he beholds an altar to an unknown god. And, and what they had done is they had created an altar <clears throat> that they would go to in case they missed one. Listen, and just in case we missed a, a God, we have the one to the unknown God. You can make it whatever you want to. And Paul stands before him and says, listen, as I walked through, I saw an altar to an unknown God. He said, whom you ignorantly ignore. He says, listen, 
He's the one that I'm declaring to you. And he goes on in Acts chapter number 17. And man, he just lets a rip. I mean, he just starts preaching to him. And it's awesome. It's a great passage of scripture to study. But at the end of it, we hear the people's response. Verse number 32, it says this. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Some mocked. Ah. I don't believe that. That's raising somebody rose from the dead. I mean, come on. Like that's that's foolish. I don't believe. I mean, come on. You're 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 crazy, man. I mean, come on. They mocked him. And others said, "We will hear the again of this matter." You understand? In that crowd, there were people that heard Paul preach. The Apostle Paul. I mean, I could just imagine. Like, if there was somebody you could, like, if I could bring in a guest preacher. You know, we had just had Dwight, Dwight Smith. If I could bring in another guest preacher, like, top of the list, it would be the Apostle Paul. Okay, now listen, I know it's not going to work out, all right, unfortunately. But if we could bring him in, I mean, come on. I mean, like, he's a preacher, all right? There were people that heard Paul preach and said, eh, Paul, you know, I think there may be something to what you're saying, but um, maybe next time. Maybe next time. And I can't help but wonder how many people have walked through the doors of this church, sat in these seats, have heard the gospel. And maybe they didn't sit in their seat and stick their tongue out at the preacher, okay? I mean, that's happened, but maybe they didn't do that. But I'm sure there's been many times that people came in and said, maybe next week, maybe next time. We have no guarantee that there will be a next time. For Judas, this was his final opportunity. This was his final exam. This was the last chance that he had to accept Christ as his Savior. And rather than saying, it is me, Lord, he rejected Christ. And so we come to the last verse, verse number 21. And Jesus... He gives the condemnation. He confirms it. He begins in verse number 21, The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him. What he's saying there is he's confirming his own condemnation. Once again, Jesus foreshadows what is about to take place as he states that what has been prophesied about since the garden would come to pass. You cannot stop God's word. It will come to pass. Everything that that God and the scripture have said either has or will come to pass. As we heard last week, as Brother Dwight preached, listen, Jesus did indeed accomplish death. He did. What a terrible yet glorious thing it, it is that Jesus did when he died on the cross. The next couple of weeks, we'll dive into that sacrifice. We'll look at it. We'll see exactly what he did. But here in verse number 21, he looks and he says, yeah, the the Son of Man does indeed go as it is written of him. What he said was going to happen, what's been prophesied is going to happen. Listen, my condemnation is confirmed. But then he looks at Judas and he he assigns his condemnation. And, And this is a terrifying thing. He says this, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. 
Now listen, we've been talking about words a little bit today, and, and he uses a word there in verse number 21 that's, I'm just telling you, it's powerful, it's fitting. He says, woe to that man. It's not like a horse, okay? It's not like he's riding a horse and whoa. That's not what he's saying. That word woe there is a powerful word. It would have been something that would have immediately snapped their attention. That word woe literally means the horror. The horror. He says, this is, I'm just going to tell you right now, he says, this is the real horror story right here. There's probably some in this room they like to watch scary movies, okay? There's probably a few in this room that, uh, Amy's back here going, no, okay? Uh, but uh, uh, there's probably some in here that maybe at one point in your life, Brittany probably sits at home, watch scary movies by herself, who knows? But, uh, you know, um, yeah, that's probably what it is. She's sweet and she looks kind, she bakes things, but then she watches scary movies. But, you know, uh, but, uh, you know there's probably some in here that like to watch scary movies, horror movies. I remember whenever I was younger, uh, when I was a single guy, I used to watch some scary movies, and then I married Tressa, and I learned that scary movies give us bad dreams. And so we don't watch scary things anymore, okay? And so, you know, but, but I'm sure there's some in here that watch scary movies. You know, you watch a horror movie. And there's a, there's a whole genre in Hollywood that's, that's called the, the horror movies. But the truth is... There is no costume that someone will put on today. There's no haunted house that somebody will visit on this day. There's no scary movie that will even scratch the surface of the horror that awaited Judas. According to the scriptures, before Jesus even died on the cross, Judas took his own life. And listen, it didn't end there. He woke up in a lake of fire that he would be in for all of eternity. The Bible says it's a place of eternal darkness, of unquenchable fire, unstoppable pain, eternal suffering, separation from God. Some people have said, well, how is that possible that it can be eternal darkness and it can be eternal flames, fire? I mean, fire by its nature gives off light. Listen, I've had heard preachers tell us before, say this story, I don't know if it's true or not, that the, the, the hottest fire burns black. I've got an easier answer. How about this? You don't have eyeballs anymore. Eternal darkness, just like that. Judas woke up. See, within 24 hours, 48 hours, Christ would be on the cross and in the grave. But within 24, 48 hours, Judas would be in hell for all of eternity. And that was the real horror story. Jesus looks and he says, woe unto that man. Woe unto you. You don't want to hear this horror story. You don't want to be a part of this. You don't want this. In fact, Jesus goes on and he says those words. You're going to wish that you had never been born. The confirmation of Judas's eternal condemnation. And it was a real horror story. Could it be that you are here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior? Maybe you're watching online today and and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. I mean, we just went through a revival meeting 
Just about every Sunday we spend time talking about giving, uh, coming to that place of understanding that you're a sinner and asking Christ to forgive you for your sins. We talk about it regularly, but, but listen, I know this. The more that you hear something, the more dull we become to it. It doesn't affect us like we once did. You can say no to something so many times that you don't even hear it anymore. And I can't help but think that Judas, in the three and a half years that he was with Jesus, everything that he saw, and you get to the end of his life and you think, how in the world, Judas? And I think it's just, he just grew dull. And then he became bitter. And then he grew to vengeful. And then he ended up in eternity in hell. And maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you've been coming for years to church. Maybe you've been listening to messages for years. And they just, they just don't hit you anymore. I mean, the darts are being fired. The Lord's trying to pierce your heart and, and convict you. And it's just, yeah, I've heard this before. Listen, friend, listen from this horror story. It's a real one. Judas, instead of saying, it is me, said, is it me? And it can be so easy for us to say, And reject Christ, and you have no guarantee that it's not your last opportunity. But if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, don't leave this place today without getting it settled. I don't want you to take the chance of walking out the doors and getting in your car, getting in a car accident, and waking up in eternity in a lake of fire. But hey, let's end on a good note. I like ending on a good note. Everybody likes a happy ending, right? Judas's story, not a happy ending, okay? That's, that's not a, it's a, it's a horror story. But maybe you're here today and you just want to be a nobody. <laughs> no, listen, we all came in this morning and we all said, I want to be somebody, okay? I mean, like, that's, that's what we want, right? You know, we all want recognition. God has a desire to use each and every person in this room. Each and every one of us. And I can promise it is way beyond what you could imagine. Because Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. But it won't happen if you're looking to make a name for yourself. It will happen when we humbly observe the Lord and we admit our dependence on Christ I have no doubt that that guy listen that guy with that pitcher of water on that day I know that at the end of that day he wasn't thinking man I wish somebody knew me I know he was thinking man I'm glad I just did what what I was supposed to do I'm glad that I humbled myself. And, and that day I didn't wake up and say, you know what? The 
The water pitcher thing, that's for somebody else. I'm not doing it anymore. No, no, no. He just humbly did what he was supposed to do. He was humble, and the Lord used him. And maybe you're here today, and you say, you know what? I want the Lord to use my life. God says, humble yourself. Humble yourself. I have a purpose for your life. I have a role for your life. And maybe this morning, you just need to pray and say, God, I want to be a nobody for you. Someone that you can use. Listen, we all know Judas's name. Look where he ended up. Nobody knows who this guy is. But I just have a feeling that one day when we get to heaven, we'll, we'll walk over and we'll get to see some guy. Be like, wait a second, I know you. You were the guy that was carrying that pitcher of water, weren't you? I said, yeah, that was me. Friend, let's purpose in our heart to be a nobody for Jesus today. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. I'd encourage you to respond to the Lord if he's spoken to you this morning. Maybe you came in this morning and you realize, you know what, I've been living for myself. I've been living for, for my things and what I want to do. And this morning the Lord spoke to my heart that, listen, I just need to purpose not to gain something in and of myself. I need to purpose to be a nobody for Jesus, somebody that the Lord can, can use. Maybe you're here this morning and say, you know what, I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. But this morning, I need to make that decision. I need to accept Him as my Savior today. Friend, I'd encourage you, don't leave this place without making that decision. Don't pillow your head tonight without accepting Him as your Savior. You have no guarantee there will be another opportunity. This morning, humble yourself before the Lord. Accept him as your personal savior so that you can be a nobody for Jesus. I hope this morning we'll purpose to humble ourselves. Father, I thank you for this opportunity you give us to be able to hear your word. God, for you to speak to us. Lord, today I pray for each person that's in this room, God, that you would move in our midst. And God, I pray that if there's somebody here that hasn't accepted you as their Savior, that God, today they would make that decision. I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would convict them in such a powerful way that they wouldn't be able to shake it off. They wouldn't be able to let it go. They wouldn't even be able to walk, Lord, before they make this right and they accept you as their personal Savior. God, I pray for others that are here this morning that maybe we've been trying to achieve something in and of ourselves. We wanted some notoriety. I pray, God, that we would realize that the way up is down. That, God, the humility is what you desire of us. And I pray, Lord, that each and every person in this room, Lord, that we would purpose, that we would desire to be a nobody that you can use. Lord, thank you for the truths of your scripture. Thank you for the truths of your word. I pray they'd ruminate in our hearts and our minds even as we go throughout this day. And God, we give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory for what you're going to do in our lives today and in these days ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, friend, thank you for being here this morning. I'm so thankful that you decided to to be in church on a Sunday morning.